welcome to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. In this podcast, we'll be engaging with cell and gene therapy industry experts and influencers and sharing insider insights, information, and trends. CCRM is a leader in developing and commercializing regenerative medicine-based technologies and cell and gene therapies. I'm your host, Krista Lamb, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs. These are cells derived from adult somatic cells, which can be reprogrammed to be pluripotent. These cells bring with them all sorts of potential and many important considerations. Our guests today are Lise Muncie, Vice President of IPSC Technology Platform at CCRM, and Stephen Sullivan, Program Manager and International Liaison Officer for GATE, the Global Alliance for IPSC Therapies. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really great to have both of you here. And I wanted to talk first about the fact that these IPSC therapies are really exciting right now. What are some of the exciting potential health outcomes for people? So let's talk a little bit about that first so people have a little bit of context. And Lise, did you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So IPSCs basically are going to potentially revolutionize medicine in general. The outcomes from using IPSC as therapies can touch indications spanning from cancer, so immunotherapies, all the way through to heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, liver disease, and brain disease. So really the outcomes are almost anything you can think of. And Stephen, did you want to add to that? Yes, I mean, the word pluripotent means able to make all three germ layers, which means that you can make potentially every somatic cell in in the body. And that really gets around one of the key elements to developing new cell therapeutics, because these cells can be expanded and then directed into different cell fates, you can potentially make large numbers uh, of any cell type. And that's usually a rate-limiting step to a cell-based therapeutic is growing the cells up and enough of them to be able to dose. Even a single patient can be problematic, but with iPSCs, we can potentially make allogeneic, you know, off-the-shelf therapeutics that be, can be administered to many patients. And this is the great hope. Wonderful. And I guess that leads me into the question of, Tell us a little bit about GATE and what you are doing in terms of the role you have in advancing these IPSC therapies. Well, I I think basically we're an organization that has seen some of the challenges that have arisen in the past with uh, other cell types, be they hematopoietic stem cells or more recently um, mesenchymal stromal cells. And really what's very important is that people have uh, standards um, in order to drive down costs and to basically allow, for example, work at CCRM to be compatible with other sites around the world. Um, And these standards, um, you know, they need to be supported. So GATE uh, is funded by a number of organizations, including CCRM, And for example, the Southern Gene Therapy Catapult in London, the New York Stem Cell Foundation in the United States, um, the Korean HLA uh, IPSL uh, Haplobank uh, Consortium, um, 
and a number of other organizations. And the key element here is that, you know, if we're all working to the same standards, not only does this make the the science better and more reproducible, and, you know, obviously clinical reproducibility is really, really important, um, but also it drives down costs and, you know, it saves scientists uh, from the pain of confusion, irreproducibility and exorbitant costs in translating their uh, material to to the clinic. It's really interesting. And I think there's a lot that we'll get into as we go into the conversation. Lise, before we do that, I wanted to learn a little bit more about your role at CCRM and what you're doing with the IPSCs. Um, yeah, certainly. So Basically, uh, at CCRM, one of the first programs we launched was a core platform for standardizing producing IPSCs at a research level, um, and that was meant for the academics across Canada. Um, So we were able to start reprogramming IPSCs uh, from patient samples um, and provide that, again, to the academic community to perform research and development. We then started looking at how we translate this platform program into uh, being amenable to manufacture. So CCRM launched what we call a clean room facility, which enables us to produce material that could be used therapeutically. Uh, And my role now is to translate all these great research processes we've put into place, the great expertise that we have grown in the IPSC space and move that towards manufacture. So we are now able to, at CCRM, produce IPSCs that are of a quality um, for clinical use in humans. So there's not a lot of places in the world that have that capability alongside with the expertise. Uh, Our future goal is to do the same with using the IPSCs to actually make clinical material. So the final clinical material would be the differentiated cell type. Um, So like we were talking about for different indications, like if it was a diabetes, we'd be making pancreatic beta cells um, to treat that patient. And that would, again, be happening in a way that is uh, amenable to manufacture, can be regulated by Health Canada, FDA and other regulatory bodies. And hopefully, you know, some of the points Stephen was talking to, we're going to be able to find ways to do this in a manner that will be reimbursable. Yeah, there's a key thing in in that when you're Taking cells to do research, um, you know, that, that's one level. But then if you're thinking about taking cells uh, and deriving other cells from those and then injecting those into a patient, we have to be really careful that those cells are of sufficient quality. So everything from, you know, contagious diseases uh, need to be checked for, like things like viruses, um, uh, but also... The way the cells are manufactured, uh, like how the cells are grown, um, in what you know media and what components are used to make up such media, it's really important that we have good traceability on all these components, so that there's no unnecessary risk uh, in uh, to the patient when we administer a new cell therapy to them. Yeah, and that actually brings me to something that. Um, If someone is listening and they, for example, have type 1 diabetes and they're like, oh, is this something that we're doing right now? This is something that we're looking at doing in the future. Am I correct in that? Not necessarily doing it in patients right now or am I incorrect? There are, in fact, clinical trials ongoing uh, using um, pluripotent stem cells for treating 
for instance, type 1 diabetes and other indications. So they're early stage clinical trials. Um, the, they're likely not ready for kind of prime time commercialization, but there is definitely ongoing clinical trial work. We're probably still many years away from it being a kind of off the shelf ready to use therapy though. Excellent. That's really helpful information. So Lise, why do you think it's so important that we have a central international resource for developing these technologies? So it's going to be really important for us to standardize um, kind of how we characterize these cells, how the regulators view them. At this point, there's almost no precedent for um, how these cells are viewed by regulators and what's considered safe. So basically across the globe, different groups are approaching this in different ways. Um, this is obviously problematic because there's no way for a regulator to understand how we can view these cells from a perspective of patient safety and what's acceptable. So we need to kind of work as a global community to help the regulatory bodies understand these cells, what's important for their safety profiles, what will actually impact their quality in terms of um, how they may positively or negatively affect patients. Um, and then basically this will allow the field to move forward at a much faster pace once the regulators fully understand um, the properties of these cells. Excellent. And Stephen, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, uh, the, you know, I mean, for particular types of cells used clinically already. So for example, we think of blood transfusions uh, or bone marrow transplantation and, you know, the treatment of cancer patients, for example, there's a precedent there for uh, how we test that the cells are appropriate for clinical use. Um, but in addition, these new cells have different characteristics to the cells that are commonly used in the, in the clinic today. So that means uh, that we need to uh, basically develop the way we test for quality uh, across the globe, make sure it's consistent and indicative uh, so that we are using the appropriate cells in these uh, new therapy development initiatives. Wonderful. And Lise, can you tell us a little bit about what CCRM is doing in terms of quality assurance practices and maybe going above and beyond what is required and what you think might be required today? I mean, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. So CCRM is certainly works with um, consultants and uh, top companies in the field to understand what currently is considered best in class in terms of uh, characterizing the iPS cells. Um, so we basically keep up to date with uh, what we're doing in that way. We build as many qualified assays in-house as we can so that we're able to actually run the quality control ourselves, um, as well as finding qualified outsourced vendors for the kinds of assays that we can't do in-house. Um, that being said, we're also you know, trying to keep up with the global community and talk to thought leaders about how we can improve these quality assays um, what additional assays are required, and importantly, what ones can be cut out, which ones are not required, and are just going to kind of confound uh, what we're doing and, and delay us getting these cells into to manufacturing. So a lot of it is just a lot of kind of collaboration within the cell therapy community uh, and trying to make this and trying to problem solve as a group, keeping all the different stakeholders in mind. So um, that being, you know, the actual folks producing, uh, the regular the regulators, um, as well as the patients. Yes, there's, uh, it's very important that we measure that which is uh, a predictor of patient risk uh, 
and not measure, you know, metrics that just because they're easy to measure. So this, you know, requires looking at how, uh, what, is, what has happened in the past clinically with, with blood transfusion and bone marrow transplants, for example, and, you know, organ transplantation. Um, and then, you know, basically looking at what kind of therapeutic is going to be made from these cells so, and then understand, you know, what's required in, in order to demonstrate the safety of the cells, uh, you know, for that particular application. So one, one of the things that we're advocating um, is a system called quality by design, which is, um, you know, a systematic risk assessment process that is conventionally used in, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and this is kind of a different approach from just a, a regulatory roadmap approach that most people uh, would follow in order to get material to go to a clinical trial, say. And quality by design initially, you know, starts thinking retrospectively about the patient, the patient's uh, needs, and what therapeutic needs to be developed in order to help the patient. Um, so. You know, this process of quality by design, where we think about, you know, we think about where we want to go in order to plot the course to that uh, location, if you will. And that, that's, that, that's a very important part of what CCRM and GATE are, are trying to articulate to its uh, members right now is that, you know, it's, it, it can be problematic if you start thinking I'm going to get this material to clinical trial and everything else after that. I don't really have to think about it right now because that, that sometimes happens with companies and they uh, carry out clinical trials only to realize that they then can't move forward towards the clinic because either the material can't be manufactured at scale or it's lacking in some uh, you know, critical quality attribute. Uh, one of the things that that leads me to think about is about how so many of the people in this community were very excited about Next Step. There's always people that are chomping at the bit to move these forward. And so how do we keep pace with that, especially with government regulation? Because sometimes I know that that's an issue. The governments are not keeping up, but also to sort of keep a handle on the people that want to go maybe too fast. Yeah, I think the, the one of the first steps to answering that question correctly is to remember our history. So, for example, if you take the drug thalidomide, which was uh, initially given to pregnant women to help with morning sickness, um, and then it subsequently turned out that the drugs were having an effect on, on the fetuses uh, that uh, the pregnant women had, um, that we, we learn from how things can go awry. Uh, when developing therapeutics and apply that to uh, that knowledge uh, to um, the kind of new therapeutics that we're developing right now. And thankfully, we've got uh, regulators who are, you know, experts in all the myriad of ways things can go wrong uh, when developing therapeutics uh, to the clinic. And they, they are uh, important kind of arbiters that allow uh, material only that is uh, fully characterized and tested uh, to pass through clinical trials and 
to you know uh, larger numbers of patients thereafter, uh, and they they really are experts in terms of risk assessment when developing new medicines, and so you, your stem cell researchers will work with the regulators uh, in order to you know ensure that safe things go uh, as safe as possible uh, go into the patients. And, you know, the Health Canada, uh, for example, you know, the CCRM and Health Canada, there's a dialogue between those two organizations um, whereby, you know, that the regulator is understanding more about what the, the characteristics of these cells are. And then, you know, the CCRM are understanding from the regulators how things may have gone awry in the past and what might uh, be of particular interest to the regulator with regards to these cells that are now being manufactured for therapeutic development. And to build on that, I guess at CCRM, um, we additionally have realized the need for basically having an IPSC excellence team. So building a team of individuals who have this training, um, the ability to produce these cells, uh, understand them, characterize them, and that's a service then we can offer to other companies. We can share this expertise. We can produce material for them that we, you know, are very confident will meet the regulations um, that will get them there also in a timeline that, it, you know, that makes sense for them. Um, and at the end of the day, having expertise and having people who are trained in this is going to be cost effective as well for these companies. So centralizing uh, the production of some of these cell sources um, and, and collaborating in that way is also going to kind of help find that middle ground of, of moving these things forward while still doing it in a manner that uh, is best in class. And that, that's a very common uh, mistake of early stage uh, developers. They kind of extrapolate from their area of expertise around the technology into other areas. Uh, and that, that, that's quite uh, dangerous because if you can imagine you're an early stage researcher and it's all about ideation and novelty and, and publication, but when you move to a clinical manufacturing context, it's all about identifying sources of variability and clinical risks. Um, so you really do need those uh, cross-functional teams to identify all the potential red flags and how to deal with those challenges and, and make sure that things progress smoothly. Um, that's, that's very important. So um, CCRM service and the, the equivalent services of other what are known as uh, CDMOs or uh, you know, contract uh, development and manufacturing organizations um, are, are really important when developing new therapeutics. And a lot of developing uh, new therapeutics might not be uh, intuitive to uh, any one professional silo. We, we need to bridge those professional silos and have a, a broad team with expertise in different areas. Wonderful. I'm actually going to change the topic just a little bit because I want to ask, Stephen, you want to ask you about something that has come up a lot on the podcast over the last few years. And I think you might have something very interesting to add to it for our listeners, which is about global access and equity to access with IPSCs and those sorts of therapies. 
Is Gate doing anything to ensure this or to help with this as they start to become closer to the clinic? Well, uh, you know, it's it's the whole mission uh, of Gate is to maximize the clinical impact of these cells through collaboration with different labs. So we work very hard to develop a global haplobank network um, that would have, you know, um, different ethnicities represented, uh, you know, uh, you know, so that no, no, no patients, no patient group is left is left behind, and that we maximize the coverage of these cells uh, for different populations worldwide. And obviously, cost is a huge issue, particularly for the you know the poorer countries and the you know the diseases that may mightn't be as common. So uh, you know it's important that we look to those too. Um, so. You know, doing things in, in an efficient and, and prudent way is very important. Uh, so these cross-functional teams uh, that, you know, uh, CCRM have are, are very important um, for m- making sure that we keep the cost down and thereby increase, um, you know, the clinical impact to as many different patient groups as possible worldwide. Thank you for that. That's a really interesting topic that keeps coming up. So I like to make sure that we get that in. And as we wrap up, I'm going to ask each of you sort of what you're most excited about as we move forward with this. Is there anything in particular coming up in the next few years that you'd like people to know about that you think is, you know, something we should be talking about when it comes to IPSCs? So Lise, if you could go. Sure. Um, I guess in in response to even what Stephen was just talking about, you know, the next big thing is certainly um, a global attempt to make a universal IPS cell line. So, you know, the previous strategy um, was to have these different haplotypes available, uh, which would mean, you know, you have cells again taken from different ethnicities, different kinds of diverse groups. Uh, So hoping you'll have one that could treat a bunch of different patients. Basically, when you transplant an iPSC that's not from yourself, you can get rejection. Um, and in the past, you know, handful of years, gene editing has come to the forefront as a very important tool. We can manipulate the genetics of a cell, uh, and one thing we can do is basically remove um, the markers that the cell recognizes. Uh, and by doing that, we may be able to make a universal iPS cell line that could treat every person. In, um, globally. Uh, And so that would be the most enabling thing we could do, especially if we can get to the point where different companies are willing to share this cell line and everyone's working from the same starting material um, that would reduce the burden on regulatory. um, And that would kind of be, you know, that's where I see global collaboration, groups like Gate, groups like CCRM kind of leading the charge, um, starting to talk about it, talk about how we could kind of produce this resource that could be used uh, kind of across the field. So to me, that's kind of the most exciting next thing that's that's happening that is definitely getting some traction and that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, that sounds so fantastic. And I think that that would solve so many of the issues that we currently face. So really, really great to hear you talking about that. And Stephen, what did you want to add that you're looking really forward to in the years to come? I I think currently uh, some of the what's termed quality analytics for uh, testing iPS cells is underdeveloped. Uh, And this means that 
people are starting with a broad range of of starting materials, which makes you know it, it makes it harder to get um, consistent results in clinical trials and and process development. So I'm really excited about uh, developments in quality analytics. So you know there are there are labs out there that are trying to identify more biomarkers for iPS cells. There's a lot of work being done into understanding genetic instability so that we can control the cells uh, and make sure they're stable and they won't you know mutate uh, as we manufacture and develop therapeutics. And I, I think also, you know, just to uh, one of the previous points about the universal donor, um, you know, it, it's important that we don't put all our eggs in just one basket. Like the universal donor approach is, is very, very elegant. And, you know, if it works, it'll be fantastic. But uh, it's a lot harder to get around the immune system uh, than many people consider. Like the immune system is very complex uh, with many compensatory mechanisms. And we're dealing not with inbred, you know, mice uh, or, you know, immune deprived mice. We're dealing with outbred humans, which can have quite a, a big degree of, of variability. So for example, like, you know, just to highlight this, you can see with COVID that, you know, there was a very broad range of, of different uh, states that came out of people who, who had COVID. And it kind of shows the variability of different immune systems within individuals. So uh, I, I think getting around the immune system will probably be uh, a degree of matching um, donor material to the recipient to some degree. And then, you know, there will be some perhaps genetic modification to assist further and then con conventional immune suppressing uh, pharmaceuticals could, you know, also be used. So I would see the future um, as a kind of uh, a, combin a combination of these different approaches in order to get, uh, you know, iPS cell derived cells uh, into the patient without them being rejected. Um, and so they can have the restorative function within the cells without being rejected as, as foreign. So lots of interesting things going on right now. So many things to think about and talk about as we move forward with these IPSCs. And so thank you to both of you for being here today and having this conversation and sharing some of this information with our listeners. So thank you both. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Krista Lamb, and you've been listening to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. If you liked today's show, please be sure to share it with others. You can find more episodes at ccrm.ca backslash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question or comment about the show, email us at podcast at ccrm.ca or reach out to us on social media at ccrm underscore ca. Our hashtag for social media sharing is ccrm podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.